0: Ah. So I just offer you some reflections tonight for your listening transformation or pleasure or not, and we'll see what happens. When I was 14 years old, my first year of high school, I tried out for the cheerleading team, junior varsity. And I didn't make the team. And I really, really, I have to tell you, I haven't thought about this in over 40 years. I just woke up with it this morning. But I really, really believed that being a cheerleader was going to make me happy. And I was hurt. I felt rejected, really ashamed, demoralized, and felt like a failure. I had no clue at the time that I was just simply not cut out to be a cheerleader. And when I look at his, you can laugh. It's funny. It's funny to think of myself as a cheerleader now. My friends are being polite. I mean, you know. You're but our biggest cheerleader. what? Ah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. yeah, it's just how you define it, huh? So I was on this planet at the time, um, and I do actually, I do want to say I have actually, truly have deep respect for cheerleaders. an amazing athletic gymnastics and cheerleading, and I mean, of course, I didn't like the team, um, but it kind of maybe took me a few more years, really, to find my way into the deeper questions that really were in my heart, probably like so many of you since I was a young person, even younger than high school, of, you know, just what, what is life, and what's the truth of life, and, you know, why are we here? Um, and I know those questions are part... A part of your life because you wouldn't be here. You certainly wouldn't be sitting here going through, slogging through meditation, sitting and walking. You know, we all, no matter what our age is, we all share that desire for for freedom, for understanding, for for love. And we all know that high school and college, it's a bumpy, challenging time. It, it, actually, a, when we meet together, those of us the adult helpers, we have to do a little, a little decompression before you even come to just talk about our high school years. Like, it, it just comes back to us you know, in terms of what that was like. And um, I hope you know what a, what a privilege it is for all of us as adults here to, to be in your presence and to, to learn from you and to guide you. It's, it's a tremendous honor. And joy. So, when I think of some of the qualities that um, you express openness, curiosity, questioning, energy, a lot of energy, these are actually qualities that 2,500 years ago the Buddha taught about. He taught that these qualities were factors that actually can bring the mind and heart into full awakening. So these these qualities are naturally within you. You came here with these qualities and they're only getting stronger through our mindfulness practice. And all of us have heard so many um, of your experiences already just in it's not even been really 48 hours. And uh, experiences like, I come here because I know I am loved. Or I notice that wherever I go, I want to be somewhere else. Any of you notice that? Start to notice that? When you're someplace, your mind is thinking about being somewhere else. That's That's a big insight to see that. I realize that I am not my thoughts. This has all come from you. I realize that I am not my thoughts. And another example, just the power of seeing clearly. I was in a discussion with someone today about self-loathing, self-hatred. I do have permission to speak this. And what she said was, I realized that it isn't true that this hatred of myself is simply not true. And then she said, I just found myself saying out loud, I love you. And then she said, and I believed it. I believed it. Can you feel the truth of your own goodness right here, right now. No practice, no nothing, just that. You are here, and you come here with integrity, with interest, with courage, to explore your own inner life, to, to be yourself. To take risks to be yourself. And here we are. We're not, you know, we're not, we can say we're all the same, but we're not all the same. We have different struggles in our lives. We may struggle around issues around race or class or religion or culture. We may have mental challenges that are hidden or physical challenges. We may have different sexual identities. All these things we all know are, are not easy in the world we live in, not so easy to navigate being who one is. Yeah. We might even struggle with our own gender. Male, female, neither. Now how's that for courage? The courage to be oneself, it's a lifetime journey. And it's one that we can only live moment by moment. For this moment is really all that we have. And even who has it? So someone in my group today was saying, well, you know, this is great, here we are, we're practicing, the food is good, the, you know, the company is wonderful, the teachings are great, you know you only have to think about just getting to the hall on time. She said, what about the real world? So tonight I'd like to speak about the fruits of mindfulness and loving kindness practice that you've been learning here. The fruits of what Rebecca last night so clearly articulated in her talk, and I encourage every single one of you to listen to that talk over and over again because it is not specifically for a meditation retreat, it is for living your life. And you will have access to it at the end of the retreat if you're wondering about that. So I would like to start with sharing um, some of the wor- some words from a sage that I'm very fond of. And hopefully, you will understand why. Her name is Trudy. Trudy is a character in a play written by Jane Wagner. The play is called The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe. And it was performed by Jane's lifetime partner, Lily Tomlin. Anyone know Lily Tomlin here? All right. Some of you may not, but she's, for those of us that are um, your elders, she's pretty um, amazing actress. So this is, um, this is Trudy. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I'm crazy. You think I give a hoot? You people look at my shopping bags, call me crazy because I save this junk. What should we call the ones who buy it? See, Trudy is a bag lady. It's my belief we all at one time or another secretly ask ourselves the question, am I crazy? In my case, the answer came back a resounding yes. The symptoms are subtle but unmistakable to the trained eye. For instance, here I am standing at the corner of Walk, Don't Run, waiting for these aliens from outer space to show up. I call that crazy, don't you? If I were sane, I should be waiting for the light like everybody else. They're late, as usual. They asked me, this is, she's speaking of the aliens now, they asked me once my thoughts on infinity, and I told them with all I had to think about, infinity was not on my list of things to think about. You think too long about infinity, you could go stark raving mad. But I don't ever want to sound negative about going crazy. I don't want to over-romanticize it either, but frankly, going crazy was the best thing that ever happened to me. I don't say it's for everybody. Some people couldn't cope. (laughs) See, the human mind is kind of like a piñata. When it breaks open, there's a lot of surprises inside. Once you get the pinata perspective, you see that losing your mind can be a peak experience. <laughs> I had a conversation with today, today with someone where we were just saying, like, almost like how can you even think? You know, has that happened for some of you? You just notice that thoughts, they do come and go. And here's Here's Trudy. Instead of asking us to look at things in a different way. Without mindfulness, really, we are lost. It's the truth. But then the good news is when we're lost, we're just lost. And when we wake up, we wake up. And with every moment of mindfulness, think of it like a bucket, an empty bucket, and every moment of mindfulness is a drop, and with each drop that goes into that bucket, eventually it gets full, and this is really in response to that question, well, what, what can we do at home, or how, how can we, it's so, you know, pristine or specialized here, how can we bring it home? Well, that, that bucket does get full. And mindfulness starts to be like the water that you swim in. It's the energy that you live in. And it doesn't mean that, oh, you know, we don't get lost. But getting lost isn't really that big a deal. You know? Because there really isn't anywhere to get to. Mindfulness is like it's like learning how to ride a bike, really. It's actually it's a technical practice that leads to itself. I asked a teacher once about practice and being open and well what about protection? You know, you get so open when you practice and she said mindfulness is the greatest protection. And I would add to that, that mindfulness infused with loving kindness is the greatest protection. So, you know, we start to see things when we pay attention. We pay attention to our meditation practice. We pay attention to our interactions. We pay attention to our memories. We pay attention to our longings. And we see that things don't always go the way we want them. Has anyone seen otherwise? They just don't go the way we want them. And we kind of want to, don't we want them to go a certain way? Like, let's just be honest. Don't we sort of want things to be a certain way? Anyone? Like, don't we want to feel good? Well, I do. I like to feel good. As a matter of fact, I spent many, many retreats trying to feel good. And it started kind of over in that side of the room. There was a circle of people sitting. I think it was a woman's retreat. And I had one sitting. It was a seven-day retreat. I don't know when it was in the retreat. It wasn't at the end. It was maybe somewhere in the middle. I just had one sitting where I felt so completely... Peaceful. I, can't, I don't even have words to this day to describe it. It was just complete peace. Like I couldn't, I didn't even know I had a body anymore. And, um, you know, that felt pretty good. <laughs> and then, you know, it wasn't there anymore later on during the retreat. And I. Started to make a project out of getting that piece back. You know, what did I do? How long were my sits? Did I, you know, sit walk? Should I sit a little longer? Should I walk a little longer? Maybe I should leave off the walk around the loop at lunch. Or how much did I eat? Should I eat a little less? Um, you know, what were what were the you know which were was I practicing? You know, the um, four you know uh, foundations of mindfulness. You know the what was I listening to, thinking about the Four Noble Truths? I mean, it went on and on to try to redesign that experience. And um, unlike Rebecca, who got to figure out at the end of one retreat, I spent several other retreats really trying to get this experience back again and really determined. I mean, I, I, I have been a pretty, it's just part of my own nature, a pretty determined personality type. So I, you know, I was on this. I was going to make this happen. And all of a sudden, I just realized like this is not fun. You know what I mean? This is like this isn't happening. <laughs> this isn't happening, girl. And I really did realize how incredibly, incredibly, incredibly painful it was trying to get to feel good and the good being something i thought was you know liberation well and it's not to say that that feeling wasn't deeply pleasant or that feeling didn't come from certain conditions out of practice but things come and go and i just didn't have the spiritual maturity then to understand that that wasn't happiness and that wasn't how i was going to Experience happiness. I mean, what is happiness? How do we even define it? Is it feeling good? Or is it something else? There's a, a little chant that... Actually, it's so sweet because she's been a teacher to all of us up here, um, and was the uh, the teacher who started this teen retreat twenty three years ago. Inspired by a elder Burmese monk who said, "You must teach your young people. You must pass on, you know, what you've learned. What you've learned that helps the mind and heart." Be at ease. That helps understanding. That helps love flower. You must teach your young people. This isn't meant to, you know, keep to yourself. So, at the end of one long retreat, she, oh yeah, Hanuman, you were there too, I think, on that retreat. Just see Hanuman down the end there. Um, she just offered this chant: May we be happy and peaceful and may we know that things are just as they are. May we be happy and peaceful and may we know that Things are just as they are. It's a long time ago, and that that chant has stayed with me since that time. There's another teaching in this tradition. I love the word, actually, and it's called inclining the mind, that that part of our training is inclining the mind towards loving kindness, inclining the mind towards wise thinking. Mindfulness creates the container the container to see things just as they are, and we practice our skills just like Rebecca spoke about last night, just like you're doing here you know in your sitting practices it's so easy isn't it to Get up from a sit. I've heard so many of you say this, and it's so familiar. You know that was a bad sit. Well, what's a bad sit? What is that? What? What are you looking for? Could you incline your mind towards, wow? Now I'm here. I'm here. It's not a small deal to sit without a distraction. You know, without doing something, it's huge. When it's like, you know, this pot is cooking, and we want to keep raising the pot. Like, you know, what's in there? Okay, you know, or Joseph Goldstein has this sweet story of when he was a young boy, and he was planting carrots, and he started to see the green sprouts come up, and he went and pulled it up to see how it was growing, you know? It's kind of like what we do with our practice, in a way. Well, I want some results from this, you know? i only got four days. So if, what are we learning here? You know, what are we? Is it, just, is it just conditional to this environment? Is that really what is bringing up some of that fear about going home or living in the, the, you know, the demands of our daily life? Is it, is it helpful? Is it useful? Well, I'd like to share a story with you. It's one way to share how some of the fruits of practice show up. And it's a fairly, um, it's a fairly recent story. Um, It just happened the other day, actually, just while you guys were on your way here, getting ready to come here. um, We had been uh, several of us, the adults here on the retreat, had gathered the day before you came, where we meet together and um, share together and do some training together for getting ready for you to come. And um, this was actually the day you came to register. And it was hot that day, as I'm sure you remember, and uh, a few of us decided to go out for a swim. and. My spouse was here, and uh, she and I went in one car, and Peggy met us there. It was beautiful, and it's not too far down the road. We're going to swim in the pond, and we're walking along the trail trying to find the right spot to get in the water. And somehow my foot um, was on land, and somehow my foot just tripped a little on something, and just life is what it is. I just landed um, on Um, some fairly big sticks that were growing out of the earth. And um, it's so interesting to watch my mind because it felt like a scrape. And I thought, oh, it's a scrape. You know, let's keep on going to go swimming. And I looked down at my leg and, woo, it wasn't a scrape. It was really kind of something like I never saw before. And um, it's so interesting, my mind... Kind of went back to, well, we're going to go for a swim. I could watch my mind, like, just didn't want to accept that this was not so great. And um, my spouse happens to be a nurse, so you know how nurses are, they're just very matter of fact. And she looked at it and she said, you know, this isn't good. And um, I said, don't say that. (laughs) Um, And um, anyway, um, Peggy offered me her towel and Judith, I happened to have a lot of bandanas in her bag, which was really great. And she just quickly, like, made a tourniquet. And, um, you know, that was cool. And um, it was very helpful. And in my mind, I knew that I needed to get to the car. You know, it was just really interesting to work with what happens in the mind when things are going not really the way we want them to go. And at some point, it was there was some recognition, like, I couldn't turn back the tide, and I—I I, I was pretty scared in that moment of realizing, you know, was I going to be okay? And um, and they were both very helpful to me. And so we got to the car, and um, and I drove back in Peggy's car, and so I just kept saying to her, like, well, I really wanted to go swimming, you know, and she said, she said, you'll probably be able to go swimming tomorrow. <laughs> And it was just so sweet, you know? It was actually so helpful. Like, even if it wasn't true. You know, I don't even think she was purposely lying to me. Because <laughs> Penny's a very positive thinker. <laughs> but it was just, it just helped my mind and body be at ease. And you know, it's reminding me as I'm telling you this story that um, someone today in our group said, um, I know everyone here is my friend. And he said it with not like, like a smidgen of doubt. Not like a, a smidgen. He said, I know everyone here is my friend. And to have that accompaniment on that ride, there's nothing to compare it to. You know, the absolute... Protection, really, of friendship and care. So we ended up um, coming back and getting instructions to the local hospital, which was you know like a twenty-minute drive away, and it's a small hospital. Um, Judith drove me there, and we went in to the hospital and went into the for the intake, and um, there was a woman doing the intake, and she. Uh, took down the information, and then she said something about um, whose insurance is it, and um, I, I think I might have said, it's my spouse, and and um, or she she wrote down, oh, your partner, and I said, well, actually, she's my wife, and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, and it was like, it was so it's like, oh, we're off to a really good start. That's so caring. Like that she's apologizing for calling her my partner. It's like, this is good. <laughs> you know. It's it really is. It's not something you take for granted that people can be at ease, you know, with people being different. And, you know, it was a vulnerable situation. So people were very kind. And I, I was taking that in. Because what was actually going on in my mind and body was, you know, just a I think shock and I could, feel, you know, I could feel fear in a physical way, in a nervous system kind of way. And um, we had to wait. And I saw this maintenance man, you know, this elder. I thought he was a maintenance man or um, maybe he was a volunteer. This elder gentleman, it's a small hospital, was walking around. And um, anyway, we had to wait because it's a small hospital and there were maybe seven people ahead of me and there was one doctor. So they sent me into this little waiting room. And on the way to the waiting room, there was this very, very loud screaming. A child was screaming, the child is okay. I don't want anyone to worry about this. The child is fine. But the child was really upset and crying, kind of in a way where maybe he was feeling maybe terrified, maybe a little mad too. And um, we ended up in the same little waiting room together. I was thinking about what Chaz was saying today about not liking the sound of the the trucks, you know, outside. And, you know, there was that moment in my mind, this is such I thought this was such a cool moment. There's that moment in my mind, it's like, I really don't like this screaming. I really don't, I really don't need this screaming. I mean, there's a little story behind it, like I'm, you know, I got I gotta get my cut stitched up and this is like not so great. And I watch in that moment, like, well, this thought is like what's going to happen if I stay on this trail of I don't like this? Mmm. Ooh. I don't think that's going to be very good. So I just started to get interested in this little boy. You know, instead of, like, something in my way, it was like, wow, yeah, we're kind of both in the same boat here. And um, there was a nurse that came in and gave him some, a coloring book and... He wasn't interested in that. He wasn't even interested in a lollipop. He was like, he was really in a state. <laughs> and um, he, had, he had had a bug bite. His eye, you could tell his eye was closed up and he probably had just gotten shot. Um, and But they wanted to, his mother was saying, that she was trying to calm him down. She couldn't. They wanted to keep him there until you know they saw it, that it went down a little bit. So. I just you know, the colouring book had this great picture of a little dog on it. I actually wanted to colour the dog myself. <laughs> you know, he wasn't gonna, but I wasn't sure I could ask. So I just said, Well, why do you get a little dog there and, and his mother said, Well he has a dog at home too and I said, Oh, what's your dog's name? Fish. Well, <laughs> like, well I have a nephew named Fish. <laughs> it's his nickname. And um, and so I just started to talk to him about fish, and then I realized that you know he was still really crying and wailing, and I thought, you know what, this may not be helping him, but it's really helping me. <laughs> so, um, and I just kind of kept talking to him, and you know, he had this plastic thing in his hand, he's holding. And I said, oh, that's orange; it's the same color as the lollipop. And you know, what is that? And kind of a long story short, he started to get interested in communicating, and. He started to show me what the long thing was, and it was this little, like, thing that you could push, and rockets would shoot from it, and so he started <laughs> to, he started to shoot rockets at me, <laughs> and I was so happy. I was so happy because, you know, it was like, wow, here we are, you know, and we're both going to be okay, and he was having a good time. There's a little, there are little spongy rocket things, and it was this game, and, it just made the waiting so much nicer, you know, it was, and it was so sweet to just feel connected with him. And it, I was so grateful, really, for just the inclination of mind, you know, towards that loving connection. It doesn't take much to be kind, really. I've felt so much of it from all of you. So many of you have come up to me and said, you know, how are you? And just, just think of all the ways you're kind to each other. Some one of the uh, adults today was sharing about just watching you all in the dining room, you know, sitting together and just how, how moving it was. Like how much it just melted her heart. And it's just being kind. And you know what it feels like to be on the other end of kindness? It's so amazing. Like sometimes when someone lets me go, you know, when you're driving and someone goes like this and let you go, I just my heart just goes, oh. And then when I do that with someone, and believe me, I do not always do that. It's like, oh it just feels so good to care. So then we end up, um, they bring me into the little room, the you know, on the bed, and there's a curtain between us, and you know, so far I haven't met the doctor. Um, actually, that's not true. I kind of figured out who the doctor was, but I'll tell you that in a minute. Um, so the curtain was between us, and... And Judith was just holding my hand, and we knew we were going to have a wait. And so in comes a nurse, this tall fella, and he's very sweet and kind. And you know, he says, "You know, I used to be in law enforcement. You know, and now I'm a nurse." And I thought, "Well, how long ago were you in law enforcement?" <laughs> he said, four years." I thought, oh, that's okay, four years." <laughs> um, and then on the other side of the curtain, I guess Judith was listening to what was being said over there, and she just said, "You know, I don't want to alarm you, but..." Um, there could be a cardiac arrest happening next door to you. And um, I just, there might be a lot of people rushing in here, but, you know, I just want to give you a heads up. And so I was like, okay, okay. So then I could just feel like, oop, can't shut to this, can't shut down to this. Because I kind of feel that widening and, you know, fear was coming up. That's scary. And then just okay, that's how it is, that could happen, fear, just being with it, feeling the bed underneath me, okay, it's right, It's just here right now with this. And then, you know, within a few minutes, the guy in the other bed starts talking to the nurse, and I hear this conversation, and I'm not, this is really the truth, I'm telling you the truth. So I hear this conversation about the nurse saying something about ghosts in the hospital, and, the, and she said, Yeah, they you know, people report on the second floor they come over to the sink. And um, and then the guy's like, I know. He said, The last time I was in hospital, I saw them. And they were coming down the hallway and you know, he described them, they were little kids and the woman starts to say, Yeah, they used this, you know, this used to be owned by someone who had was a mansion and someone had, you know, small children. I was like, I am in a Monty Python movie. <laughs> you know, like this is like what is happening? So, you know, I mean, life is more interesting than art, really. You know, it just, so, okay, I was really glad that he wasn't having a cardiac arrest. And um, eventually the doctor came in, and he, remember I told you about the maintenance man, who I thought was a volunteer? I don't know if I told you, he was about 80 years old. Well, and he had, like, jeans on, and... um, Rainbow suspenders and kind of glasses down like this, and he kind of had a hunch and he came in, and that was the doctor. (laughs) I was like, okay. And like, he didn't, you know, he didn't like walk super steady, but you know, it's like he's, you know, here he is. So it's my doctor. And he also said, you know, he was the only doctor. (laughs) So. There wasn't any getting out of this. Um, so, you know, he eventually came in and um, the nurse had, you know, gotten the supplies on the little table and he started to pull the table and he couldn't pull the table. And he said, you know, I can't pull this table and, you know, I hate these things. And, um, and oh, she didn't leave me, you know, surgical gloves. It's like, Okay. You know, may we be happy and peaceful, and may we know that things are just as they are. And um, I just started to sing. And um, so then he gets the you know, thing over, and he starts to open the bag that has the, the specialized surgical cloth that's going to go over my leg. So meanwhile, I'm really thinking, like, what's that needle going to feel like, the, the numbing needle? Like, that was really what was on my mind. And so, but he's, I'm aware, he's over here, he's opening the bag, and he can't <laughs> open the bag. He can't open the bag. So, and he makes it very clear that he can't open the bag. And he'd already said, he already said, by the way, that, um, that he didn't have, he didn't like this hospital because he didn't have any surgical assistant and they don't have surgical assistance anymore and really that he trained many years ago in the 60s and the hospitals were much better in the 60s. <laughs> much better in the 60s. He said, this place is really archaic. And then, you know, really, Monty Python movie, but this is true. He said, you know, this place is really archaic. And then he said, you know, I used to work at Bellevue, and I mean, I swear I thought Bellevue was a mental hospital. He said, he said, I used to work at Bellevue, and he said, you know, the pigeons used to come through the windows and land on people's bed railings. I really, this really happened. This really happened. And I was like, wow, what am I going to do with this? You know, because it was kind of scary that he said that. And, but it was like, What can I do? Here we are. This is life. This is happening. I just really wanted my leg to get sewed up so I could come and meet you guys. And so you know, he couldn't open the bag. And um, and and Judith said, Well, I know, it's just think of it, it's like a bag of potato chips. You know, you just pull it open. He said, (laughs) He said, (laughs) I can't open potato chips. oh, she said, let me do it for you. And he said, you know, I try at home. He said, I try with scissors. I try with a knife. He says, I really think you need a saw to open these plastic containers now. I quote him exactly. So Judith opens the thing and she gives it to him. And I think when he sort of moved over towards my foot, he kind of A little bit, and like she propped him up. I I know I saw that happen. It was a little subtle, but um, she, who's a nurse, so he starts to talk to her about you know what he's doing, and she's interested. And he says, you know, um, I really don't like these kind of wounds, you know. um, Just so you all know, I am totally fine. So I don't like these kind of wounds. And then you know he said, you know, 'cause they're kind of jagged, I won't say any more, but um, you know, he was more descriptive about it than I'm telling you. And, and then he said, you know, when they give me these tools, he says, this is a dissecting tool. <laughs> may we be happy and peaceful, and may we know. And um, he's, then he said the dissecting tool tends to make holes in the skin. May we be happy and peaceful. <laughs> So, and then he had another assistant come in, and somehow I found out that he was. Um, let's see what time it is? I found out that um, he came up from Sandwich, Mass. Judas said, "Well, do you do you live?" Oh, because he said, "What are you singing?" I said, "Well, it's actually, it actually comes from a 2,500-year-old chant, and I'm about to go meet some teenagers and teach them meditation." And Judas said, "Oh, have you heard of IMS?" And he said, "No, I'm not from around here." She, said, where are you from? I'm from the Cape. And she said, well, why do you come here? He said, because they need me. And it was actually very sweet. It's because they need me. So, and, you know, as he was working, I could feel, I could really feel his competence. And the other thing that I did was to say, I'm so glad I have you, Dr. Gold. I'm so glad I have you because you've had so many years experience and you're so competent. And it was like, kinda of went over his head, but it helped me. You know, I mean he wasn't interested in the compliment, he was just working. But as he was talking about being from Sandwich, we were taught there was something in the newspaper recently and I started to talk about it and he started talking about the bear that was swimming on the Cape. You know that story, the bear was swimming in the ocean, yeah, on the Cape. So I said, well maybe the bear was reincarnated from a dolphin. And then the surgical the the assistant who was there said, oh no, no way. No no reincarnation. It's like, oh, okay. He said, and the doctor said, well, why? And then the, the assistant said, because it says so in the Bible. <laughs> and then the doctor says, well, what religion are you? May we be happy and peaceful. I mean, this was happening. So, so he, he was describing what he was doing, and then my darling and beloved wife just whispers to me, like, do you mind? My iPhone. Can I just take a picture? You no. Know, I could just take a little video. And um, I said, you know, go ahead, but just don't tell me about it. You know? um, but it was all out of interest, you know, and here we are in the Monty Python movie. But the thing that was so wonderful, just watching my own mind, was this the capacity to kind of be with things that actually quite honestly if i if i was all by myself it would be i think it would have been harder to keep inclining my mind although i would have made those attempts and at one point when i did get really scared i was just thinking like wow you know this is a this is a wound that's going to be healed and how many people are there in the world right now that are really seriously ill or injured and have no doctor and You know, that loving-kindness practice just arose. Like, may all beings be free from danger and harm. We can't change it, but we can hold that in our hearts. And it wasn't, oh, gee, what practice should I do now? It just came. It's just there. And it actually eased that agitation. Because it's true that there's suffering in the world. It's true. And then I just took in this man's goodness, his competence, his very dry humor, and, um, you know, let him take care of me. You know, let myself be taken care of. and, And to be with that vulnerability, you know, because we don't know, do we? We don't know anything really but we certainly don't know when we're going somewhere or heading somewhere that, you know, our destination might be rerouted. And I was actually extremely fortunate um, that I was with dear friends, that I was taken care of, that people here took care of me, and uh, I just feel feel very grateful. And it could have gone another way, And, and then one would have to work with that too, right? I mean, we can't determine... How our lives are going to unfold, no matter how old we are. You know, I just was reading in uh, the news before I left of a, a couple, a young couple. Maybe some of you read this in Texas. Uh, two women, um, young women, eighteen, nineteen, and um, one. One. They were both shot, and and one died, and one is in very serious condition. And again, like what we live in a world where hatred and delusion it it does have it's a happening thing i mean it's not, it's not a joke it's and we all know this and there's so many things we can't change you know um, so, some of you are political activists and and do take action in this world to help change things and and that's important and we need to be who we are and some of us are musicians and play music and some of us are researchers and scientists, and some of us are writers, and some of us just don't know. We don't really know what we want to do or where we want to go. We're in that in-between place between high school and college. I mean, we're just not sure. And it's so OK. It's so more than OK. You are, you are doing something here that is inextricably and valuable. For your whole life. Your whole life. You know, one of you were speaking today about, you know, is Buddhist practice uh, a selfish practice because there's so much self awareness? When we open to life and how things are, we, the only thing that comes from that is caring. How can it not? When we see how life really is, we see, you know, we are in this together. We're in this thing called life together. It isn't easy. And it's very beautiful. There's the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. But when we see that and those, those shades of glasses of comparing mind and you're better than me, or I want that, or um, I'm no good, or I'm so amazing, better than other people. You know, when that drops away and we just see, like, here we are you know, in our nakedness of being human, the only thing left is caring. So I want to close with some words from Trudy. So she's back in conversation with the space aliens. um, And they, you know they I neglected to tell you at the beginning, but they, are, they have a project. They're observing human beings. They're very interested in how we behave and you know, what makes us tick. And so they were asking her, um, oh, she's asking them. I turned to them point blank and asked them, okay, you've learned a lot about us, but tell me this and be honest. What do you think of people as a whole They said they thought it would be an excellent idea. (laughs) So she's just gone to um, a concert of young people, um, kids playing violin. And she says, just listen, amazing. In my head, I can still hear that violin concert. What is it in our brains that lets us recall the music after it's over? Why is it when we hear certain music, we get a lump in our throat? My space chums wonder how come we don't get the lump in our ear. (laughs) They're impressed with our ability to get lumps in the throat. (laughs) Apparently Apparently, we're unique in that respect. They wanted to know if it felt anything like goosebumps. I said, you never felt goosebumps either? They said, no. They asked me to explain goosebumps. Do they come from the heart? Do they come from the soul? Do they come from the brain? Or do they come from geese? (laughs) This set us waxing, philosophic. All this searching, all these trances, all this data. And all we really know is how little we know about what it all means. Plus, there's the added question of what it means to know something. Scientists say for every deep truth discovered, the opposite is also true. So when we get the feeling we're going around in circles, no wonder we are. (laughs) They said, Trudy, we see now intelligence is just the tip of the iceberg. The more you know, the less knowing the meaning of things means. So forget the meaning of life. I didn't tell them, of course I had. See, it's not so much what we know, but how we know, and what it is about us that needs to know. We're thinking maybe the secrets about life we don't understand are the cosmic carrots in front of our noses that keep us going. So maybe we should stop trying to figure out the meaning of life and sit back and enjoy the mystery of life. The operative word here is what? Mystery not meaning. This should be comforting, especially to those who think life is meaningless. It just might be, which could explain why we have so many meaningless things in our lives. And yet, if life is meaningless, this is the greatest mystery of all. Even this feeling we get in the pit of our stomach when we contemplate how meaningless it all seems is part of the mystery and the more meaningless, then the greater the mystery. But if all this is meaningless, then why the hell bring up this subject? If life is meaningless, this discussion is even more so. <laughs> this is so typical of what I do. I feel like I'm a million-brained lunkhead. We thought all about this, but not for long, because no matter how expanded your mind gets, your span of concentration remains as short as ever. Next, they insist I take them somewhere so they could get goosebumps. They were dying to see what it was like. I decided maybe we should take in a play. I got goosebumps once that way, so we headed back toward Schubert Alley. On the way to the play, we stopped to look at the stars. And as usual, I felt in awe. And then I felt even deeper in awe at this capacity we have to be in awe about something. Then I became even more awestruck at the thought that I was in some small way a part of that which I was in awe about. And this feeling went on and on and on. My space chums got a word for it, awe infin- infinitum. Awe infinitum. Because at this point, you can comprehend how incomprehensible it all is. You're, about, you're then about as smart as you need to be. And I felt so good inside, and my heart felt so full. I decided I would set some time aside each day to do aerobics. <laughs> because At the moment you are most in awe of all there is about life that you don't understand. You are closer to understanding it all than at any other time. So, may we open to the awe of life, the awe of not knowing. And just gently remember that when we see things just as they are, the only thing that is left is love. Let's sit for a minute. Just as they are. Thank you for your wonderful listening. Time for a break, and then uh, we'll have our groups. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.